some, at some point in 2022, I plan to teach a series of lessons from the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel is kind of not a kind of strange book. Um, I think that's where the Lord is leading me so I've been doing some work in Ezekiel in preparation for my church and the of clothing and the reason that I've had to And as I've been spending time in Ezekiel, it caused me to go back and review some of the other prophets. There are a number of prophets in the Old Testament. Most of the ones that you will recognize, really, there's about 18 that you recognize, even though there are several others that are mentioned. The ones that you probably know of are, first of all, the major prophets. We call them uh, major prophets simply because their books are so hefty, so long. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Jeremiah, Romanization, and there's also Ezekiel and Daniel. There are four major prophets. There are 12 minor prophets. Ezekiel, Amos, Hosea, Jeremiah, Thank you. 
that is the definition of a human condition. In every generation, the light has been made known, but darkness has rejected it. Verse 6. A man came one step from God, and his name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. In verse 15, we, we see that this is God's testimony about the Lord. God testified about him. It's all about saying, This was the name of I said, He who is coming after me has proved to be my superior because he existed before me. A powerful statement of the divinity of Jesus, the incarnation of the God in human flesh, the pre existence of, of Jesus uh, in all of eternity before creation existed. Here are God's credentials. Like so many of the other prophets, he had certain characteristics that made him feel like a prophet, prophets and people around him who heard him. He found himself, we learn from him, particularly in the Gospel of Luke, the backstory of God, but also in the Gospel of Matthew, he has a prophet appearance. We find that John spent a lot of time in the wilderness. The wilderness was a place of separation and self-discovery. It was a solitary place where he could go and discover uh, God's call and purpose for his life. In fact, turn over to the third chapter of Luke, and I want to see how Luke uh, introduces this character. Luke chapter 3, verse 1. Now, the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip was tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Tertullianus. And Lysanias was tetrarch of Galilee, and the high priesthood of Annas and Pilate. He could have just said, in the year of whatever. The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He came into all the region around the Jordan, preached the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. Hence, the editing of the book of the word Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one calling out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Here's the thing John was known for his isolation. He had to go out into the wilderness to find him. He wasn't to be found on the street corners of Jerusalem. He wasn't in a room in the temple uh, teaching politely to those who came and, and sat at the table. He was a, a, a man of, 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 of the wilderness. Listen, if we're going to be the people who speak truth to this generation, one of the things we're going to have to do is rediscover the discipline of solitude. And that is where God prepares us to be in the right place and to speak to the people around us. We call it a quiet time, although perhaps many of the Holy Spirit speaks to you a bit. A quiet time seems to signify a gentle repose. I want you to understand the wilderness solitude that God experienced was a face to face encounter with God. We need more facts. He was one of only three Nazarites that were getting to the Bible. Samson, who was a dismal failure as a judge. Samuel, who was the first of the Old Testament judges. And now John, who was the last of the great prophets of the Bible. 
prophecy that before the Messiah would come, there would be a forerunner, there would be a herald who would come and announce the arrival of the king. Only this is not uh, an announcement that suggests that you need an infrastructure project, that you need to actually make use of the world. This was an announcement that you need to clear out all the debris, you need to eliminate all the hindrances, you need to make a way into your heart so that when the king arrives, he can bring with him into your soul the redemption that he offers. Now, we're going to see why the hell that plays out. John Baptist, as the final prophet, final Old Testament prophet, is going to tell us about the redemption. Verse 19, John chapter 1. This is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites to him from Jerusalem, they asked him, Who are you? Now, John is going about his business. He's in the wilderness. He is preaching. He preaches two things. He preaches, uh, in fact, you can find in, in Luke chapter 3, after the verse that we read, you'll find the, the definition of his ministry. John preached two things. He preached repentance and offered a baptism of repentance. Repentance is simply saying, uh, I have sinned, I'm responsible for my sin, and I, uh, and I lay it down, and I turn away from it. And, and baptism is symbolic washing uh, and cleansing that goes with that. And then he taught an ethical lifestyle. People came to him and said, What are we supposed to do? He said, Well, if you have extra clothes that you give to people that don't have food, you have extra food that you give to people that don't have food. In other words, you should live your life so that you're not only right with God, but that you touch in a positive way the people around you. You should live a holy or practical lifestyle. John's ministry was to call people to repentance for their sin and to ethical living. Now, they come to him because he wants to hear verses that remind them of the stories they heard from the Old Testament prophets that were the one. And there's some talk on the street that looks like a drop on the side of the wilderness preaching this sort of countercultural message. Maybe he's the Messiah. Maybe looking for the Messiah. They're not sure, but they decide to send a delegation of messengers and ask him. So they go out into the wilderness and they say, Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, and this is what he confessed. I am not the Christ. Now let's pause because they didn't ask him if he was the Messiah. He simply said, Who are you? But John recognized what the real question was. They're asking, Are you him? Are you the one? Are you the anointed one that we've been waiting for? John recognized that that was the underlying question. And so he jumps right to the, to the, to the point of eliminating all suspense. No, I am not the Christ. Christ, Messiah, Messiah is a Hebrew word. Christ is a Greek word. They both mean anointed one. Their translation for each other. So he, he, he's saying, I am not the one that you've been waiting for. And so they ask him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. I was talking about that real quickly. Are you Elijah? You see, they knew from the Old Testament that there was a prophecy in the Old Testament that Elijah would be sent as a forerunner, as a herald, as an announcer before the coming of the king. So if you're not the Messiah, are you Elijah? And he says, no. Well, later on, Jesus is going to say, yes, John is Elijah. Well, how do you learn to tell that? Let me say it. 
when, when John answered this question, we're actually asking him, are you actually alive? He said, well, did they lose the reincarnation or what? No, don't forget, there are only two people in the history of creation that didn't die. One is the same, Genesis chapter 5, we have walked with God, and yet he was not for God's children. The other is the prophet Elijah. They weren't asking, are you the reincarnation of Elijah? They're asking, are you literally Elijah? Come back and finish your life and to announce the Messiah. He says no, because they're asking if he's the physical Elijah. Later on, Jesus refers to John and points to him as the symbolic Elijah. He is the one who fulfills that prophecy of announcing the coming of the king. So when they say, are you the Messiah? No, I'm not Christ. Are you Elijah? Understanding what they meant by the question, he says no. I'm not Elijah. And then they say this. Are you the prophet? And the minute they talk about the Old Testament, in Jewish terminology, they're asking, are you Moses? Moses is being ever told Moses died and God buried him in his place. But because nobody ever saw Moses die, it was common in Jewish tradition to think that Moses had really Elijah was waiting for his moment to return. So they asked him that. Are you the prophet? Are you Moses? Did he come back and complete what he started? He answers no emphatically to these questions because they have false ideas about the Messiah and about what he comes to advance. Verse 22. Then they said to him, who are you? Tell us so that we may give an answer to those who send us. We are messengers sent out by the authorities back in Jerusalem. We're trying to go back to the report. If you're not the Messiah, if you're not Elijah, and you're not Moses, who are you? He said, I am the voice of one calling out in the wilderness, make the way of the Lord straight, as I say the prophet said. He quotes the verse from Isaiah. He says, I'm the herald. Announcing the coming of the king, it is time for you to get ready for this arrival. The next word is good enough. The messengers of the sent from the Pharisees, they asked him and said to him, Why then are you baptized if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered and said, I baptize with water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. Is he who comes after me, of whom I am not worthy to even untie the strap of his sandals? He said, This place is destined to come to us with John's baptizing Jesus. All right, let's read this back then. When they find out he's not Messiah, he's not Elijah, he's not Moses, then their questions are impossible. Well, then why are you baptizing people? Who do you think you are? Now, wait, wait, why are you looking at a shame? Baptism at this point in history doesn't have invested in what we see today as the testimony of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. At that point in history, baptism was a ritual of washing, and it was reserved primarily for Gentiles, non Jews, who wanted to convert to Judaism. 
If you were to take my house, if you wanted to worship the God of Israel, if you wanted to be a part of the community of faith that was the people of God called Israel, part of the initiation process was a baptism that basically said, I, uh, I confess my life separation from God, and I washed clean, and I now stepped into a bond with the people of God. Here's the thing, though. That ritual was typically reserved for Gentiles. The Jews in this generation had no sense that they needed any ritual of repentance because they were already good with God. Why? Because they were Jews. They were the chosen people. They didn't have to get right with God. They were right with God simply because they did all the all, all right things. They were circumcised when they were eight days old, and they worshipped at the temple, they brought sacrifices, they went through the rituals, not remembering that every lesson of the sacrificial system was an object lesson pointing them to someone else. The sacrificial system was never meant to make you right with God. It was meant to teach you what was necessary to be right with God. And then look at John and said, Why are you baptizing Jews? You got a lot of nerve suggesting that the breed of people of God need to be repentant. Not Messiah, not Elijah, not Moses. Who is Jesus? Jesus comes to John and he's been going to be baptized. And in that baptism episode, 
The text tells us that the Holy Spirit settled on him the life of God. Now, I know that the others have become a typical symbol of the Holy Spirit, but it's not something that it doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit looked like a dove that physically settled on him. Uh, it, 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 it means that the, the settling of the Holy Spirit he doesn't describe the visible nature of what they saw of the Spirit, but it, it, it describes the way itself. So, what I'm trying to what's happening is that one of the things that we do in the fall is we rebel against And in just an absolutely unique way, when they arrive, when they land on a branch of tree, uh, they sort of uh, they sort of fly over and then they just kind of the tree until they rest. The Greek language of Matthew chapter 3 doesn't say that the, the Holy Spirit was like a dove, but whatever, whatever was visible of the Holy Spirit, it says the Holy Spirit settled like a dove on Jesus. And it stayed there. And John says, I'll call the Holy Spirit. This is the God. This is the Messiah. This is the thing. Well, in Matthew chapter 3, we're told that immediately after the baptism, the Holy Spirit compelled Jesus to go further into the wilderness, but he stayed by himself for 40 days. That's when he fasted and prayed and prepared for his public ministry. It was at the end of those 40 days when he committed time and tested these three times. Jesus defeats those temptations by using the Word of God with his Holy Spirit. He battles those, those moments in his weakest state. Now he returns from 40 days in the wilderness, ready to begin his public ministry. Okay? Now, all of that's happened in Matthew chapter 3. What we have here is John saying that the next day, after this delegation of the messenger from Jerusalem comes and asks these thoughtful questions of John, who are you? Why are you living? The next day, Jesus returns from the wilderness. He's been gone six days.
Thank you. 